remember in Star Wars where Luke Skywalker is just talking to Yoda, and then Yoda just dies yeah. from all his questions? That's how I feel right now with everything that's going on with this brace situation. So we're going to break into this a little bit and talk about it. Okay. <laughs> all right. Why everybody is wrong about this. We're wrong about it. The ATF is wrong about it. I mean, this is just a series of circle jerks that's going on with this brace ruling. And we'd like to kind of get into this. Welcome back. Hope everybody's having a great day. This is Eric with Iraq Veteran 88. And I grow tired of these ramblings, but here we are. The ATF has been watching YouTube to understand their own rule lately, I think. That's a good way to put it. I think you're totally right. <laughs> you know, Yoda Yoda just just sits there and then just just fades away, like, from all the questions. I mean, that's how it feels. Yep. I'm fading away. <sighs> We're going to break into this. So there's... Some things to talk about, and we'll, we'll try to be as close to the point as we can possibly get. Now, um, there's a lot of varying opinions floating out around about this. Now, to their credit, I will say that there's been a lot of people have put in some serious legwork that I want to give shout outs to. Obviously, GOA putting in some good legwork. I know one of their lawyers who I don't remember his name right off the top of my head here. Uh, he did go over and ask some good questions of the ATF that we're going to cover here. So big kudos to GOA for putting in the legwork there. Just a shout out for them. And also Mark from Four Boxes Diner. We're going to break down one of the things that he just put out uh, in a recent video. Obviously, Jared from Guns and Gadgets doing a great job of keeping information flowing. Um, of course, John Crump uh, has always done a great job of putting out information. So there's tons of people that are really digging into this 296-page rule, you know, the long version, the big, long legal version. What we went through in the video was just more of an internal PDF that the uh, ATF was was sharing kind of like as a little worksheet to kind of get to the bullet points. We went over the bullet point version. What this is going to get into is some points of contention that a lot of people are really at sorts about. They don't seem to know. And the issue becomes that, you know, like Arm Scholar, for instance, you know, you look at these lawyers on YouTube that are covering these things. When the lawyers go, wait a minute, <laughs> this is ambiguous. This is wordy. This is, this is given a fair amount of latitude in either direction. This is very gray area, you know, and when law, I'm not saying that, that Arm Scholar doesn't know how to advise a client. What I'm saying is if lawyers in general are like, man, we don't even know how to advise a client on this because it's so ambiguous. Uh, that's kind of what we're getting into here. So we've uh, prepared a, a short list of bullet points that we're going to try to clear up uh, that we wrote down here. And hopefully it'll point us in a somewhat more right direction. So just to uh, clarify, uh, we are nowhere close to attorneys. We're just a bunch of dumb Southern rednecks. And, you know, if you're listening to us, I pity you. I pity the fool. Let's go down the list. All right. So the 88-day background check deal. Yeah. All right. Now, so, this is what GOA uh, uncovered at yeah, SHOT Show. So there's an attorney at GOA. Um, he went over to the ATF, their booth, at SHOT Show and posed the questions like, hey, uh, about this background check deal, like with 88 days and automatic uh, enforcement action being taken. Uh, so how does that work with the brace rule and, you know, the amnesty registration? Uh, they didn't have an answer. Like, we'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> All right. So the the whole thing with this is, like, if, if a background check goes 88 days, all right, you're talking about, like, a firearms transfer, an NFA check, whatever the case is, if it goes 88 days without <clears throat> any sort of definitive return, you know, either, you know, go or, you know, denied, whatever. It's automatic denied. 
are automatically denied. So the the argument is that um, at that point, the ATF would take enforcement action against you because you tried to register something and you were denied the background check and therefore you're in possession of an illegal item, right? That's the whole thing. So that's, that's the first point of contention. And, um, you know, I haven't seen anything pop out from the ATF about clarification of that or from anyone else as of late. So the question is still kind of up in the air. I mean, so. Yeah, the idea being that after 88 days, it's going to be an automatic no in terms of how they process the form. So if that information isn't processed in that time frame, in theory, right, they could say, well, we know you have an item that's in a configuration we're saying it shouldn't be in, right? And we know you have it and you don't have permission from us yet to have it. It's just, again, it's ambiguous. And I know that word is getting thrown around, but but it, you know, the logical sense that we have in things, right? Logically, we want to say, well, there's no way that they would, you know, jump out of the woods in a gotcha moment and go, aha, we got you. But these aren't just average people you're dealing with here. I mean, th- these are people that have abused executive fiat. They've abused every administrative process they possibly can to get to the point that we're at now. We're not saying that we agree with the decision that they've come to on these braces. We're saying exactly the opposite. Uh, I'm, I'm saying that they do not have the authority to regulate these devices, which you know we've we've said in, in previous videos. And um, so Mark from Four Boxes Diner, I'm going to put a link to his channel uh, down below. Make sure you subscribe. Great guy. He broke down a, a little tidbit that he found in the U.S. Code. So 26 U.S. Code. Uh, 5848, the restrictive use of information. So this has to do with ATF using this rule change to collect information about you or to collect information that would be in conjunction with your compliance with a rule change. Let's see what U.S. Code says about this. No information or evidence obtained from an application, registration, or records required to be submitted or retained by a natural person in order to comply with any provision of this chapter or regulations issued thereunder shall, except as provided in subsection B of this section, be used directly or indirectly as evidence against that person in a criminal proceeding with respect to a violation of law occurring prior to or concurrently with the filing of the application or registration or the compiling of the records contained uh, containing the information or evidence. Now, what B essentially deals with, well, unless you lie on the form. Now, you can't lie on a federal form, and that's essentially where that buck stops. But the point being, though, is that in, with respect to a violation of law, well, the brace ruling is not law, right? So how can you violate something that wasn't, illegal to begin with. So it's just like, again, it's more conjecture. It's more difficulty thrown into the mix where it just complicates things all that much more. Like I I don't even think the ATF even thinks of these things. Like Um, basically the the whole, (laughs) the whole concept is you can't, you can't file a form to try to comply with the, the new rules, you know, or in the ATF's eyes, the new law, which they still can't make guys. Remember that. ATF does not make laws. They just make regulations and how to interpret them, which is pretty poorly in, in, in you know, recent memory. But um, the thing is, you, you're, you're not going to incriminate yourself. They can't, they can't throw the book at you for trying to comply with the, the rule change and register your pistol as an SBR in compliance, right? 
and then get to the point where, okay, your background check is past 88 days or whatever, which still kind of weird to me, but you know, if you got an automatic denial and they took enforcement action and they came to your house, busted your door in and arrested you for having an illegal SBR, like you tried to comply with the law. We're not they, saying they that that's that. what their intention is or what they will do. We're just saying that when you give someone the keys to Pandora's box, don't be surprised if they open that box. That's See, all I'm trying to say. The The connotations are certainly, you know, there for, for that to occur. Are we saying it will occur? No, we're not. We're just saying that, I mean... They love this kind of stuff. They love to be given the latitude to go, ha, we got you. See, the, the thing with the thing with 88-day like auto denial, which is a little confusing to me, is... What's the 88 mean, boys? Huh? Oh, my God. Jesus, man. People yeah, really? are thick, man. All right, so you've got a... All right, you got a Form 4 in for the transfer of a suppressor. All right? And with, with e-forms, you know, they, they, they said 90 days. Right, but we know that's not the case. That's not the average. Forms are still taking months and months and months. I mean, folks are you know going 10, 11, 12, 13 months mm-hmm. on like form fours, right? And that's as things are now. Imagine once this process is yeah. bogged down at such All an right. extreme level. So like throughout that process, there are certain stages that those forms wind up in. Like they go into a bin, they get pulled out incrementally, data gets put in the system, which e-forms makes that a little bit easier and it saves a little bit of time, but it doesn't save, you know, nine months of time, right? But at a certain point, the background check will be conducted. And as far as I know, the FBI doesn't conduct background checks on NFA stuff anymore. The ATF does it now themselves. But I find it very, very like odd to think that that background check process would take 88 days. Because when they get to that point processing that form, like that's what they do. They do the background check and then it's done. It'd be like having... You know, uh, it'd be like having a 4473 at a gun shop, you know, that you're buying, you're buying a gun and you're filling out a 4473 and it'd be like, you know, your, your background check took 88 days or more to, to be processed for a normal, like handgun transfer. It'd be the same idea as that. It just, just me looking at it, you know, I don't know what that is worth, but that's just my thought about it. I, I just, I almost feel like people are blowing it way out of proportion, just maybe a tiny bit. But, I mean, look, it is a point of contention. It yeah. is something to look at. But I don't think that that's the, the most important thing in this whole deal. So like, let's segue over to 922R compliance. Now, this seems to be another uh, violently contested idea here. And uh, the, the gist of it, from what we're hearing, the rumblings that we're hearing, is uh, they're trying to go after certain imported pistols from a standpoint of 922R compliance. Which I find to be pretty odd because a pistol's a pistol. And 922R only, you know, deals in rifles and shotguns that are in non-sporting configurations. Now, look, this is Nerdville, okay? You have to remember, this is an area of the Second Amendment and an area of, let's just say, the battle for our rights and the, and, and the, the idea of what guns people can have and all. Like, when you get into 922R, this is something that's really in the weeds, right? Like, average people that own and use guns don't care about 922R compliance. I'm just going to just be truthful, right? Like how many people out there probably have a Sega rifle or a Sega shotgun, right? Sitting around that they did their own like work on and, you know, it doesn't have the correct amount of us parts or something, but how many of those are floating around out there? Right. Thousands. Right. So the bottom line is 922R is really more of an importer thing. Right. Okay. 
an importer who is dealing and bringing in guns from other countries into the United States, right? Someone like Global Ordnance or someone like Century or name whoever you want to name, right? CZ, SIG, uh, Glock, anyone that's a foreign company to begin with, right? They can import guns, right? They import pistols, things like that, whatever. Beretta, I mean, you name it. Anyone that brings in guns. Yeah, of course, they have to know about 922R compliance because if the gun is not in a, in a proper compliance to bring it in, the export or the import documents aren't going to get approved, right? They're going to leave them on the dock and send them back or they're going to deny it or it's going to provide some additional huge paperwork edit, a headache and a giant expense uh, for them to incur because they had to deal with some bullcrap with them sitting on the dock. And that happens, right? With imports. So 922R really in terms of where it applies in day-to-day life for us people in the gun world is primarily those of us that are importing guns on a regular basis, right? Your big companies, you know, look at CZ, okay? CZ Scorpion comes in. How does it come in, right? It comes in in a pistol configuration with the end cap on the end of it. All right, the ATF is trying to say that, oh, well, those pistols came into the country with a brace device attached to them. Therefore, they were not 922R compliant when they hit the dock, right? That They're trying to, to basically say that by attaching the brace that the gun is in 922R compliance uh, issue you know, with compliance as well as being an SBR in the process. So it's like they're basically trying to say it's a double whammy, right, in that type of situation. So it's weird, right, because that's not how it happens, right? CZ brings in a Scorpion or Strybog. Uh, Grand Power brings in the Strybog or whoever brings in whatever pistol. Zenith brings in their MP5 or whatever the heck. And then when it gets into the country, right? Because you, the ATF, said, this is cool. You can do this. Of course, they put a brace on it because the brace does not change the configuration of the gun from a pistol to a rifle. 922R compliance only deals with rifles, right? But a pistol is a pistol and a rifle is a rifle. We've been through this, but what they're trying to say is there are 922R compliance issues with imported pistols with braces and SBR contention with the brace now. So it's they're retroactively saying, well, this wasn't the case before, but now it is because we say it is. All right, so You're the not big, breaking any new laws. <laughs> the, the thing that is of issue is the ATF is basically saying that any imported pistol can't be registered as an SBR under the amnesty program because it violates 922R and should never have come in. That's the way I've read into it. And they say it can only be destroyed or surrendered to the ATF. That's the big uproar right now. But as you mentioned, all right, it came into the country as a pistol and the pistols can have all the imported components in there. All right. So just to clarify, like, Shotguns and rifles have to come in in a sporting configuration. All right, that's why the Segas came in with a sporting like Monte Carlo style stock, no pistol grip, you know, no muzzle device. Okay, they were a sporting shotgun, and in order to convert them over into a non-sporting configuration with a collapsing stock, with a muzzle device, all that mess, you got to have a certain number of U.S. parts. All right, and they listed under 922R all that stuff. But the the big issue is with whether or not those guns were imported in violation of 922 or, or not. And I don't believe that they were. I think they were imported in good faith under the letter of the law at the time. And right? 
if those guns were coming into the country in violation of 922R, they would have got left on the dock to begin with. Yeah. Right, they would have never been allowed to come into the country in the first place had they been in violation. But of see, this rule, R. this rule didn't exist then, and it's just that it's just a rule, R- right? Know, but nine twenty two R, the most recent change to nine twenty two R has been in place since two thousand fourteen or so. Yeah. So you're talking. The point is, the guns would not be here at all mm-hmm. if they were being imported in some naughty configuration or some configuration they deem to be the wrong configuration. All but right. the fact is, right? How many mini Dracos? And, and Draco pistols have been brought in that are AKs, so AK pistols. You know, you got the pistol grip, right? What does a handgun have? Has a grip. You got the action. You got the magazine. You got the barrel. Like according to the Gun Control Act, right? A pistol is a pistol. A rifle is a rifle. Like it defines what those things are. And what the ATF is saying, well, we make the rules, and since we're the enforcement arm, we're saying this is how we're going to enforce it. But you're doing that by essentially changing the law through fiat through opinions and if your opinions carry the way to law well then the opinion letter that approved the brace in the first place had the way to law did it not mm-hmm. right you can't retroactively say well it was okay 10 years ago we told you it was okay it was after after all it was us that said it was it was okay oh but now uh, you know quid pro quo you know what 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 does darth vader say you know like you know, pray, pray. I don't change the details anymore. You know, like <laughs> it's like but that wasn't the deal. It's like, well, it, it, pray I don't alter yeah, the deal. Pray I don't alter the deal. I mean, like um, you can't just retroactively say, well, we said you weren't a criminal for doing this, and that includes importers who put braces on the guns, and they knew dang well they were doing it the whole time because surely they had to go to into a gun shop and see a CZ Scorpion with a brace or see a Strybog with look, a brace. It wasn't a problem then. Why is it all of a sudden a problem? That's my issue there. <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I don't have a good answer. Because the political winds fill your sails in the way it didn't before? Because, because we, granddaddy uh, Biden said, do this, and oh, we got the blessings of the emperor. Like, that's not a valid reason. You know, like I said, it has to the, go through Congress. Like I said in the last video, the administration says jump. What do all the three-letter agencies do? They jump, right? So the the other um, point is regarding 922R and NFA, okay? So the way I've always read into it over the years is that, like, 922R, I mean, in NFA, there's nothing in the NFA about 922R. It's all in, like, you know, U.S. Code, GCA. You know, it's, it's all involving, like, sporting shotguns and rifles. To right? be clear, but, for the purposes of what we're discussing here, the Gun Control Act and the way that it lo- it looks at guns and definitions of guns and the NFA are two completely different sets of standards by which those guns are, the, are viewed. The NFA does reference the GCA, but it adds clarification as to what those configurations are like under the NFA. Because right. it's a completely different thing. What's the general consensus? General consensus is that 922R applies to imported firearms if you're adding some of the, like, non-importable features, all right? So if you're starting out, for example, if you start out with a shotgun that comes in, right, and you want to just make a blaster out of it and cut it down into an SBS, and it's already got like a you know a normal sporting stock on it, and you just cut the barrel down, that's not a violation of 922R. But if you have a Sega, and it comes in, and you want to make an SBS out of it, and you add all the naughty features, right, the non uh, 922R compliant features that the gun cannot be imported under, 
and you cut the barrel back, unless you add the U.S. made parts, you're in violation of 922R. That's the general consensus. And that's from multiple attorneys Okay, out there you can find information all over the place. But over the years, the ATF has changed their stance on it a good bit as far as their interpretation of the regulations, which is just – it makes – everybody's life extremely complicated and it gives me a freaking migraine and it and it's purposeful you know you know like they they want it to be ambiguous and they want it to be confusing they want you to step on a landmine and not realize you're right. stepping on a landmine. and look another point i want to make too about this whole deal is that you know within the past couple of years there's been a huge like run on ffls right as far as compliance goes and you know the administration saying, hey, we're going to look at these FFLs under a microscope. And, you know, if there's any compliance issues, you know, you've got one strike and you're out and we're going to revoke your license and everything, even for minor paperwork issues. Well, stuff like this makes compliance ever more difficult. Like all this crap coming down, people don't know how to handle it. You know, not just individuals out there reading this. It almost makes you wonder if that really is the end goal. Yeah. So and and to, like, to make it easier to get revocations. Yes. So there's that, all right, making it harder to comply and making it easier to get revocations. But how many people have watched, like, if you think about all the people that have watched all these videos from every person who's done, uh, you know, a piece on this topic of the brace rule, like, they say, all right, on the top end, there's 40 million braces out there. So what are there? Are there, you know, like 25, 30 million people that own Braces, and then yeah. some of them is have ten mul- million. Some of them have million? Like, some of them have multiple braced pistols or whatever. So, out of all those people that own these things, only say say a million is the total number of people that have tuned into this coverage, right? Across the whole spectrum, right? So, how many people really know about this crap that's going on right now? Like you mentioned in the last video, it was like you know, this isn't for the people that are informed about it that it's going to cause a problem for. It's going to be it's for the a soccer mom that has an AR pistol in the closet that she bought as a self-defense tool when all this crap is going on. That's the only gun she's ever owned, and she was told that it was a great item for self-defense, and she has no idea what's going on with it. All right, think so. about being an individual and then submitting a, a form to the ATF and saying, I want to make my own new, newly produced machine gun, which is not technically against the law. They just won't cash your tax stamp. All right? Mm-hmm. If you're not a government entity, you cannot create a new machine gun, all right? That goes back to, what, 86, right? So here's the thing, all right? They just simply won't accept your tax stamp. It doesn't mean that you can't submit the form. So if the ATF makes a distinction that, okay, you submitted the form and, oh, well, maybe you didn't know this, but you asked us to do something that we're not, we refuse to do, right? You can't, you're you're not a government entity. You cannot make a new Colt machine gun, whatever, right? Well, wouldn't the same situation apply to an SBR? Okay, so let's say that Joe Blow imports a MP5, right, from Turkey and, you know, bought it through Zenith or, or through Century or someone like that and says, oh, cool, all right, I want to make an MP5 SBR. And if a pistol like that could not be put into an NFA configuration legally, right, like they're saying in this case, then why does the ATF list Zenith as a manufacturer? Why do they list the exact model number and the exact configuration as an available and and and, and acknowledged configuration? Why do they allow it, right? Why do they allow someone to create an MP5 SBR in, in years past before any of this brace stuff ever became a thing? Say that someone just said, you know what, I'm a collector, right, and... I don't want an MP5 with a freaking brace on it because it doesn't look like the real deal. I want the real deal because I'm a collector and I want it to look 
and be in the correct configuration that as close to rolling off the assembly line in Germany as I possibly could. Right. So you have to understand that there's a lot of these people who they will create an SBR with something like uh, an MP5 or, or a 556 version or G3 or PTR, something like that, because they want a movie clone gun or they, they want it to look like a clone of a movie gun. They want it to look like a clone of their service rifle from the military service that they were in, right? They want a clone of their uncle's favorite gun or they want it to be historically and functionally correct so it looks as close to the real thing as possible. Like the clone crowd is definitely a super important part of the Second Amendment community. People who it has to be right. Every little thing must be right. I just refuse to believe that in all the years that people have been SBRing, willingly SBRing things like these MP5s or, you know, CZ Scorpions and wanting to get the real correct looking configuration. If it was a point of contention, then why were those forms not denied when people tried to uh, do that? Because you knew they were imported pistols and you knew they were going to put all types of uh, stocks and things like that on them, right? Never once has the ATF in the last decade and a half put out a letter that said, oh, by the way, uh, we see that y'all are forming a bunch of these things. That's cool. Go ahead and form them. But you might want to know that 922R is in play here. And just a friendly reminder, you need to know that. Did they do that? No. Because that tells you it wasn't on their radar. Never was before. Speaking of that, I mean, I've never heard of an enforcement action against someone over 922R. Like the ATF coming in the middle of the night, kicking your door in, and get on the ground, get on the ground, show me your guns. What? Show me your, what? Show me your guns. It's like, oh yeah, sir, uh, there's not 10 US parts in this gun. Uh, we're taking you to the, to the uh, paddy wagon, right? I, I mean, have you ever heard of that? The only time I've ever heard of 922R violations were regarding large importers. Right. And what they were importing. Like I said in, originally, more of an importer thing. Yes. Right? Like 922R is something you are intimately familiar with if you're an importer. But technically, like, technically, it is the letter of the law. And, like, if you're having, like, like at Moss, all right, you and Ray put together all kinds of Sega conversions for people, right? Mm -hmm. And you had the proper stock of U.S. made parts mm -hmm. to bring those guns up to 922R compliance. That was a huge deal, especially for an FFL. Right? For a gunsmith. Of course. Converting those guns. The magazine so, counts as three parts. It does. So, you know, there. I just, I, I feel like the ATF just doesn't really know what they're doing at all with this crap because they're telling people that they have to destroy their guns. But I did read an email earlier. I refuse from, to believe that. I know. I read an email earlier from FFL consultants and, you know, they were stating in there that they have clarified that. People with imported pistols have the exact same five options as anybody else with a normal U.S.-made pistol. Again, right? though, I go back to our original stance on this. I'm going to refer back to the previous video. Okay, come on. Again. Okay. Yeah, that SBR, an imported pistol, right? On paper, le legally, you are the manufacturer of that gun, right? It's no longer what it started as. Right, it becomes what you make it. So if I, as an individual, and the manufacturer of that gun, and I decide that hey, I want it in this configuration, and since look, NFA's out the door, it's registered at that point. I can put a 
collapsible stock. I could put a little forend, forward grip on it. You name it, right? If it's not what it was when it was imported anymore, well, then the import restrictions don't matter because I didn't import it. I made it. It's now an SBR. Yeah. It's not what it used to be. It's something new. That's always been my argument. That's always been my argument. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't... If, if we're looking at it in terms of legalities and technicalities and the letter of the law, like, you make that gun. When you form that gun, you're making it. You yeah. are the manufacturer. You are it has the, your name on it. You are the maker. Blah, blah, blah trust or, you know what I mean, yeah. whatever your trust is or your name and address. If you're an individual and you don't have a trust and you just make it as... Joe Blow from whatever state, like you put your address and like that's it. You made it. You marked well, it. Look, you know the really arbitrary thing. All right, this is so dumb. But like, all right, you take the imported parts in one hand. You take the U.S. made parts in the other hand, and like, there's absolutely no difference other than a U.S. stamp on one of them. That's it. Like, the ATFs come, they're going to come and, like, break your door down because you have you have parts that don't have a U.S. stamp on them. I, I find that very difficult to believe. But it is, it is so dumb. Just 922R is dumb in the way that they've interpreted it over the years. There is some you know? gray area, too. When well, it comes to importers. Well, there's gray area, too, with imported parts. There's been letters about, like, hey, I want to take these imported parts and manufacture an SBR. Well, you still have to have 10 U.S. parts. You know, like, you take a parts kit and you want to build an SBR out of it. Well, that parts kit was imported. You know? It had to follow 922R. They have to, you know, cut the receivers and the trunnions and all that kind of crap. It can't have a barrel at some point, blah, blah, blah. Right? And you have to have all the particular parts on it to have it assembled. And usually... You're going to probably have a gunsmith do it. They're going to have an FFL and they have to comply with the law. It's dumb. Like the parts are exactly the same. MP, all right, MP5 forends and stocks. There's original German ones that are like 400 bucks. And then there's US ones that are like 200 bucks. There's no difference. Unless you're talking about like the AC Unity ones with the, you know, different parts and stuff on. But, I would make the argument. Oh my God. I would make the argument though is that. If I'm going to go through the trouble to SBR and MP5... You want the real deal. I get it. I want it as close to the real thing as it possibly could be. Trust me. I completely right? understand. I want the German crap. I want it to say made in Germany. You want I that. want the I want the magazine want the, to say law enforcement use only. You want that uh that's was it like a little stag antler? I want the you lower know, to have the, the, the Navy mark markings. I want yeah. the paddle lower that says made in freaking Germany on it. Because that's what clone builders want. You want as close to the real thing as you can possibly get. Hey, you know, I've got a laser engraver. I could, like, put all that crap on there for you. Ooh! All right, so look, look. You understand what I'm saying. I right? understand what you're saying. All right, look. There is a point of contention that the clone crowd should have the right to build it exactly how it needs to be built. Okay. All right, look. This is this is the next This is the next point, and this is probably going to... This is probably going to irritate the hell out of some people. Oh, yeah. All right, so... Everybody and their grandmother is online, and they're... They're talking, right? And they're talking about, ooh, I'm going to use this Amity Superior to get my free SBR. Oh, 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 free SBR, man. Oh, 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 oh boy. All right, look. <laughs> oh, boy. You've seen all these things. Uh, what's the what's the, the guy's name on Star Wars? You know, the, it's a trap, dude. You know, I can't think of his name, but that means has been floating around because it's true. It's a trap, right? It is. All right, look. 
my recommendation from the first video stands. Take the stupid brace off and configure it however you need to to keep it from being put back on there. Hide it in a hole, bury it, throw it in the ditch. I don't care what you do with it, but wait this crap out. Because sometime down the line, this is going to get fought in the courts, and it's probably going to get overturned just like bump stocks. We said this in the first video. And I think there's a standing, a very distinctive, solidly grounded standing, that there is a much better case for braces getting thrown out even than bump stocks. And if bump stocks got thrown out, you know dang well the braces will. All right, look. Because it affects more people. It does. All right. So that way th- more people that comes into common use and such. Yeah. You know, way more than bump stocks were common use, but that wasn't really the case. But anywho, all right. I've had multiple individuals, buddies, friends that have bombarded me with questions about this rule and the amnesty period and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, they referencing back to the old machine gun amnesty, you know, before, you know, uh, before the Hughes Amendment took effect and all this mess, you know, there was there was an amnesty registration period back around, I think, it seemed like around the GCA time, like around 68 or so. I can't mm-hmm. recall. But it was mainly for, like, grandmas with machine guns that their husbands brought back from the war from World War II that never registered them and just had them up in the attic or whatever, bring backs, okay, stuff like that. But anywho – I've had multiple people say, well, why can't I use this as an opportunity to register a bunch of stuff for free? And I'm like, don't do it. Because I I have no idea. I have no clue how the ATF is like looking into these forms because they're literally right now, they're changing the options on the form ones to accommodate the amnesty period, right? With no $200 tax attached. Okay. So, you're going to get on there and you're going to take like an AR receiver that you bought back, you know, from Olympic arms or something, right? I mean, who no longer exists. And you're going to say, Hey, I'm going to register this as a, as a free SBR. Cause I've always wanted to, I mean, are is somebody at the ATF processing your form going to look at that? And are they going to do like a soft trace on your gun and see that it was purchased back in like 1996 or something and say, well, this doesn't really meet the criteria for the amnesty registration. So, you know, they're going to oh, send- by the way, thanks for letting us know you have it. They're going to send you a letter or they're going to send the form back to you for correction, maybe. And they're going to say, hey, uh, there's a problem. This isn't a firearm that's covered under the amnesty registration, you know, because it it's not a pistol. It's just a receiver. And they're going to make you uh, pay the tax on the form and resubmit it. All right. All right. That's just that. that's the way that I think the ATF would work, because that's what they've done in the past with incorrect uh, forms. They just send them back yeah. to you for correction. And, and how you get else? Back. And how else would they know, for instance, if you were to say, hey, I want to make a machine gun and I'm an individual, surely the reviewer, whoever's looking over that paperwork, has to go, see what you did oh, there. Yeah, you, you can't, can't do, do that. But right, look, but they don't. have to be looking at it close enough to go, oh, okay, you're not a government entity. And look, here's the thing. It doesn't stop people from trying. There, There's actually a couple of people on, I know, AR, ARFCOM and a few of the other places, that that's their lane. Like is the nut kick lane. Like they try to, they const, they keep putting it in, putting it in, putting it in, putting it in, hoping that the ATF reviewer will slip up at some point and go, "Well, look, oh, we'll approve that." I've seen, I've seen cases where <laughs> forms have gotten approved for newly manufactured machine guns, but then someone at the ATF realizes they the error it. and they revoke the form. Right. That that's all they do. All right, look. The point I'm making is they look a little closer at it. They they must look at them pretty close. But see, I have no idea. I can't say for certain that that's what they're doing. I have no idea if they're looking at these the when the when and if the rule actually gets published, all right, and it takes effect. 
I have no idea if they're going to be looking at this with a fine tooth comb, if that form comes in and they can segregate them, obviously, because of the way that they're submitted and the options that are checked on there. All right? What if I just start my own government? Look, let's, let's get real for a second here. You can, you can I talk mean, about that. In a <laughs> I Come mean, on. like, I am a government agency. <laughs> like, what, what are those Arabian, what, it was those princes that tried to get you to cast checks online? Oh my what God. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, oh, uh, please, please, I will send you uh, $500,000 if you would just send me a $50 Amazon gift card, please, to this address. <laughs> Thank you. I, I really need to help my family, and an Amazon gift card would be very helpful, and I will reward you with 500000 USD. I mean, you know, right, hey, look, let's just... But, all right, for real, though, okay? I don't know if they're looking at it with a fine-tooth comb. I don't know if they're going to go back and see, like, when that firearm was originally imported, when it was purchased, when it was manufactured, because, look, there's no, like, specifics, but manufacturers have to submit, like, you know, manufacturing reports every year. And they know, like, how many guns have gone back into circulation, how many pistols, how many rifles, how many shotguns, blah, 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 right? How many NFA guns, how many machine guns that are made, blah, blah, the whole nine yards, okay? They know. They know how much, but they don't know details. So they could request records from manufacturers if they wanted to, because that's part of having an FFL, right? The ATF can knock on your door whenever they want to, and they can request to see your books and see everything, right? So that goes back to that whole thing where are guns registered? Well, no, but yes, but yes, like right. it's, it's confusing, so, but we won't get into that here. But, uh, are, are they going to look at these forms a little more closely and make sure that the firearm in question actually meets the criteria for the amnesty registration? I don't know that. How How is the ATF going to know whether, like, okay, well, you bought this gun during the last 10 or 12 years, all right? And or, then decided to put a brace on or, it. Yeah, or, you know, and it had a brace on it at that point, right? Or maybe it's one you bought 20 years ago or 30 years ago, like, all right, Bushmaster Carbon 15, for example, with a round tube on it, and you decided that you stuck a brace on it. So there's no way to determine whether or not that gun was ever in like a configuration that's not covered under the amnesty, right? So there's no way of them like actually knowing, but will they go through and will they try to figure it out? Like, I think if somebody submits a form and like they want to, or multiple forms and they want to register like 10 ARSBRs, like, hmm, does this guy really have 10 like AR pistols that he's registering? Or, or are they straight receivers? Get, yeah. I mean, so my advice still, I would, look, even if you've been on the fence about like registering an SBR, okay, you don't have one, whatever the case is, and you want one. I wouldn't. I would not register under the amnesty. I would just register it normally if you wanted to. Okay. Go through the normal channel. Pay the $200 tax. Yeah. Like, cause look, if you do it once, I, look, and I'm not advocating for the process. I hate the process. It sucks. Damn it, it's what it is right now until someday, maybe, hopefully, the NFA can get overturned. You want to know what this really is, boys and girls? It's a dragnet operation. Absolutely. What this is, is, I think, to answer Chad's question, that he's... Which one? What what you're proposing about um, the amnesty registration and how much of a fine-tooth comb they're going to peel over the the submissions, okay? I think the answer is that they don't care what you're putting on that form because it's just one step closer for them to knowing everything that you've got. I think this is a dragnet operation, and I think they will gladly take any information you give them about your guns. And I think that you have to just remove logic from the situation for once and kind of go, all right, if I'm the government and my total MO here is to have 
as much knowledge about what people have in their possession as possible. Well, why would you turn it down? Like if someone wants to register even a 20 year old gun that was never even in an originally in a configuration that they're saying is naughty at the time, would you still not take that information and put it into your giant database and be one step closer to having all the information that you need to enact your plans against the populace, yeah. which could include confiscation, which could include mandatory buybacks, which could include no telling what, right? I think it's really just a dragnet operation and that they're going to take any dang bit of info that you are willing to voluntarily give them. And they're not going to care about it. And they're not going to care. They're so, going to totally take anything you send in. That's right. my yeah. my view of it. I uh, I agree. So the other... I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying that that's what they're going to do. Yeah. The other small point I wanted to make is that like some of these folks that I've been talking to and been posing these questions to me, okay... They already own a bunch of NFA stuff. I mean, they, some of them have transferables that they've had for years and years and years, right? Mm-hmm. So they've already have items that are registered with the NFA. Okay, so what skin is it off their back to submit a couple things under the amnesty? It's really not. But for the person that you know doesn't have anything registered under the NFA, and you never really were thinking about it, you don't own any suppressors or anything like that, I wouldn't do it. I would I would, I would say either, I would say either that or what I would do. Let's say that you've never dipped your toes in NFA ever. You don't have anything NFA, and let's say you again. I, I don't mean to call this specific brand out in this way, but I mean it in the most loving way possible. But say you bought a Daniel Defense Mark 18 pistol with a brace on it. Always factory. factory Mark 18, factory Mark 18, and you've always been on the fence about buying a suppressor, right? Instead of doing the amnesty registration on the gun. What I would do is buy a suppressor, a 5.56 suppressor that has the correct length. Again, I would pin and weld that onto your Mark 18, put the proper stock on it, and go on with life. All right, so look. That's what I would do. That was That's another, just me. All right, so I got a question through Instagram that was very curious, and I don't know the answer to it. I'd have to submit a, – look, I'd have to submit a letter to my IOI and get a determination on it, but mm-hmm. – so the gray area with, with pin and welding suppressor, okay? I know multiple manufacturers have sold suppressors over the years with an extended direct thread segment, right, with a hole through it for pin and welding. Mm-hmm. You know, multiple manufacturers, uh, you know, they make adapters that you can weld at the back of the can, and this has been something that's been done for years and years and years. Yeah, it's a common people, thing. People will recore old cans, and they'll put a direct thread attachment on there, and they will pin it to a short barrel and make that gun 16 inches. So, Which is totally legal. Right, so when you pin and weld that suppressor to that barrel, all right, are you changing the overall length of that suppressor? Technically, you are because the, the barrel becomes a suppressor. But, all right, my point is, and this is where, like, the clarification is technically needed, but, like, whatever the length of a suppressor is on the Form 3 and the Form 4, you know, Form 3 when it transfers to the dealer, Form 4 when it transfers to an individual, all right? So, like, a modular can, they'll have the full length on there. Full but length. you can take it into a shorter configuration. Yeah. So, I don't know about the, the longer length. I, if you I don't, take a 10.3-inch barrel... And you weld a six-inch long suppressor onto that freaking thing. That barrel, for the purposes of the of GCA and the purposes of determining whether or not it's a rifle, it is a rifle, right? It it it, it clarifies what pinning and welding is, what permanently attached means. All of those definitions are well defined and well understood at this point in the game, and it's no big deal. That's why, for instance, Brownells 
can sell their XM177 Retro, right, with the little, like, I think it's either a 12 and a half or 14 inch barrel, and then have, like, that muzzle device pinned and welded in place, even though the barrel, yes, is short, the overall length of the barrel with the muzzle device permanently attached exceeds 16 inches, which makes it good to go. But the complication with the suppressor is that it's a serialized item that's controlled on the NFA, right? And but if it's permanently attached to the gun, yeah, but and see, can't be removed. Well, look, we've gotten in, you know, integrally suppressed uppers before, and you know, on the Form Threes, it has 17 inches on it as the overall length, and it's the entire barrel assembly hmm. is the way it's transferred. But see, that's the way it, it comes from the factory. But, but that's an integral. That's yeah. an integral. So, like, if you if you pin and weld a can to a short barrel, the the overall length requirement is met for a standard rifle and you still have the tax on the can. But I'm not 100% clear. Maybe somebody out there is is more understanding of it or they may have a determination on it already. But I don't really feel like it would change the overall length of the suppressor because the suppressor is still just the suppressor. The and suppressor can still item. be removed yeah. if you break the weld and knock out the pin. Not easily, not without tools. Not without tools, so. not easily. But the point is, though, is that, okay... If you had, say, a Mark 18 in that rifle configuration with the correct stock and you had the suppressor pin and weld it and you decided, you know what, I don't like it in this configuration anymore. I want to change it and put it back to the way it was before. Well, then that's fine. You can knock the pin out. You can break the weld. But once you take that suppressor off, you've got to then remove the stock and put it back into a non-naughty configuration, which we've talked about this in previous videos. Here's another weird point where it's like, do you inadvertently create something that's not like an illegal configuration while you're making it into that configuration? It's like kind of yeah, strange. That's always been the thing. Um, you know, but, all right. So like for, for your example, I think for the purposes of being in a gunsmith shop and being changed out by a professional gunsmith, they just kind of go, okay, as long as the in configuration is, is good to go, they don't really care about how it got there. Yeah. So look, which right. was what makes that 922 R crap so much more ambiguous. It's like, They've always had the kind of the kind of stance where it's like, well, we don't care how it got there as long as it winds up however it's going to be. Mm. But why in that situation they're saying it's not, but then in every other situation where they know mm. you inadvertently had to do this to make it that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. So like, what's the thing? It's like once a once a rifle, always a rifle. Is that it? Right. So if you're taking a pistol and you're pinning and welding a can on there, it becomes a rifle, right? You can't just take the can off and make it a pistol again, can you? Like, oh, there's another one of those gray areas. You know, they get darker and darker well, as we go. Look, you can take a pistol and convert it into a rifle. You just can't take, <laughs> and according to these people, you can't take a rifle and convert it into a pistol, which I've always thought is kind of strange as well. Because, yeah. all right, say, regardless of whether or not there's a brace attached, say that I have an AR pistol with a slick tube on the back, just a regular old school 20 year old AR pistol and I've got a rifle sitting around. All right. And then I've also got an SBR, uh, AR that I built some time ago or whatever and SBR'd it. And I set all three of those guns on the table. <laughs> I, I mean, your two pins, you could just push two pins and swap them all out. Like, like changing your socks. So it's like, at what point does all this just, it's all moot. Like, at what point does it even matter anymore? I know. It's just two pins. Like, people are getting all worked up over, oh, well, this gun is in this configuration. Well, 
Do you have an AR pistol? Okay. Then you have a short barrel. You have a short upper for your AR pistol. Do you have a rifle? Yes, you have a rifle. Well, you got a 16-inch barrel. It's like, mm-hmm. it's just strange to me how a pistol's a pistol, a rifle's a rifle, regardless of the configuration you have them in. It's just strange to me how, I mean, and that was one of the reasons that I even initially made an SBR lower because I kind of got to thinking, I'm like, God dang, if I'm riding down the road and I've got my AR pistol, I've got my AR rifle, all right, what if I disassembled the guns to mm-hmm. travel with them because it was just makes them fit in the case easier? So does that mean that Do you have Johnny Fed is going to pull me over on the side of the road and go, oh, you plan to put that short barrel on that rifle uh, lower and vice versa? It's just, it's dumb, right? Yep. But if I have an SBR, right, then it I could have a million short uppers in there. It wouldn't matter. I, I could have a hundred rifle lowers and one SBR lower, and the burden of proof would still be on them to go, oh, you planned on putting those short uppers on those rifles. Like, no, that's an SBR. Those uppers are for that SBR. And that's where it gets slippery. It's like the point of the, the proof of the burden of proof is on them. They have to prove intent. They have to prove mm-hmm. that you did something purposely to subvert the law. But you know the the general consensus that the ATF would still throw the book at you for for that stupidity over somebody who's committing real crime. You know that's oh the it thing. doesn't mean they wouldn't try to throw the book. At I know you. it's dumb. Like it's really dumb. Like these people are not crime, uh, criminals. I mean we're not criminals, right? But, you but know, how I, many times, though, does this sort of thing happen where yeah. Joe Blow's going to the range and he just kind of goes, you know, I need to disassemble my guns to put them in the case and fit them in there or whatever. Like, you know, in their mind, they're just thinking, well, they pop apart. Why not just pull them apart? Makes sense, right? I mean, like if I've got a Pelican case and I need to take five guns to the range, two of them are AR pistols, two of them are AR rifles, one of them is an SBR. Come on. It's just dumb. Mm-hmm. I know. This whole thing is dumb. I know. It is a waste of taxpayer resources. Like, it is a waste of money. I know. It's a waste of brain power. Mm-hmm. Like, there are more important things that we can be using our mental capacity to solve in terms of problems. Well, what about fatherless households? I mean, come on. You know, where's all this violence occurring? Yep. You know? All right. So Let, let's, let's look see. at the bull in the room, shall we? Let's see. The uh, Let's use some brain power for that. The reason for all the criminal activity in the past, you know, 10 years, right? And especially the last couple of years is because in the ATF's eyes, because of some plastic and some rubber and some Velcro straps. That's where all the crime has been coming from. They, They will look at anything they possibly can to lay the blame somewhere else other than themselves. And, you know, who does... Who who does this brace rule ultimately blame, you know, for criminal activity? And that's the whole reason for this rule is because of the uh, you know alleged criminal activity with braced firearms, gun owners, right? So the blame always comes back to Joe Blow gun owner, you know, and Susie B gun owner. <laughs> I mean, never never fails, you know. It's just. It's amazing to me that the ATF would put so much time and effort behind this only to be just as confused as we are as far as the implementation of it goes. And knowing dang well that it's probably going to get struck down in the courts. 
Like I, th- I have a feel, I have a strong feeling that they knew all along that this was going to get shot down in the courts, and they just didn't care. They um, did it anyway. I'm going to say this last thing, but uh, I really feel like you know, the ATF is just like any other organization out there. They've got good people, they got bad people. All right, I mean, you can say what you want, but like you know, some of those folks are just literally just doing their job, and just making ends meet, right? And you know, they've got a like mind to you or me or anybody else. Okay, but I wonder if they're taking bets. I wonder if like there's interdepartment bets on whether or not like rule changes and like new uh, determinations and things like that will actually stick. It's like, hey John, hey uh, yeah yeah Fred, hey you think this uh, brace rule is going to stick? I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think the court's going to overturn it. What do you want to bet twenty bucks? Or do you, you think know? in the break room, or in the break room they're all going by each other and going. Oh, oh man. God. I sure hope this doesn't grow legs because I don't want to be put in a position to have to go door to door or talk to these people because it's like I I feel I fear for the worst, you know? Mm-hmm. You I know that has that to be going through their minds. Mm-hmm. I know. I wouldn't want to do that job. I wouldn't want I wouldn't I mean, want like, to touch it with a ten foot pole. The NFA examiners and stuff, you know, like they were talking years ago about adding more NFA examiners, you know, just to make sure that the forms got processed in a more timely manner. But like the easy answer is Get rid of it. Like, why don't you just, you know, make a rule and just regulate the NFA out of here? Nobody will argue with that. You right. Know what I mean, I mean, so. I mean, that's better for <laughs> officer safety, right? Like, you know what I mean? It's not going to put any officers in danger. It's not going to put any civilians in danger. It's going to, like, make people just kind of go, oh, okay, cool. Like, Jesus, we oh, move but, on with our freaking lives now, you know? Oh, hi, I'm with the ATF. Um, that's not with our regulatory purview to remove uh, NFA regulations. Yeah, we can't. Oh, we can't. Adam. Yeah, we can't do anything. We about can that. only add more. We can't take it away. You know. But my God, man! Like <laughs> this, this is a crapshoot. It like, really is. Oh my God, dude! Like I've been seeing so much stuff come out of it, and people are so up in arms, and they have a right to be. They really do. But I'm really curious to see where this goes. I mean, when and if the rule actually gets published. You know, like what's going to happen with those four months? Like, I don't know. Will will it go to court in that time? We don't know, but it'll be exciting to see. Ooh, yeah. Well, <laughs> we wanted to make this video, and and it's funny because I actually intended for this to be a much shorter video, but it wound up being about the same length as the first one. And here I am, actually, probably. I'm I'm going to sit here and just admit that I'm probably just as confused. Hey, look <laughs> now so, as I was when we first started. These were our bullet points. Look how short that is. It didn't even take up a full half of a page. How do we, what was it, like an hour long? Like 45 minutes? Yeah, yeah, no, no, we're 55 minutes in. You guys know that we, when Eric starts a video, it's like, hey, this is going to be a real short video. You might as well buckle in, boys and girls. You might as well grab a coffee and plan on an hour. It's just, <laughs> it's just going to be what it's going to be. And again, I, I, oh, I kind of feel like I sympathize with Yoda. I really do, you know? Well, Master Yoda, but what about... No more questions. And it just fades away. Like just die in peace. Just let me die in peace. <laughs> Get out of here, you little brat. Get out uh, of here, you will. It's like, oh, now I know why I never trained another Jedi. Oh. <laughs> I've never trained another Jedi again like that. I just want to fade away in peace. Just get out of here, you brat. Leave me alone. It's like after I have more children, I say, we're not going to have any more kids, right? Yeah, right. And it- <laughs> one just pops well, out of the nether. Yep, there's no one. <laughs> hey, I haven't figured out how this works yet. Oh, you figured it out. I'll you just ain't out. done nothing about it. My brother did, so now I have to follow suit. No, what we need to do is two things. 
We need to hold you down. And when we have you held down, we get like one person on, on each arm and leg, like get you held down really good. And we need to cut that hair and we need to stick a soldering iron in your balls and just go ahead and, you know, roast those things well, real look, good. And- for, for those of you who have stuck around this long, the hair is going to go because I'm going to donate it. I've been growing it out to donate it. So really? Yeah. Who are you going to donate it to? Um, just one of the, one of the organizations like locks of love and all, they've got different requirements and some of them don't even take curly hair, which is weird, but some of them do. So, so someone's going to be wearing your hair. Yeah. Well, mine and probably six to 10 other people's cause it takes a lot of hair to make a wig, but like they do, you know, they do wigs for like kids who going through cancer treatments and stuff, lose their hair or they have like early hair loss for some other reason, you know, disease or some kind of condition or genetic disorder or whatever. Well, that's good. But so you uh, are going to cut it. Yeah. I'm going to cut it. I've already talked to my wife about it. Maybe I should it, just be a rogue and let mine grow out and we'll just trade roles there. And, you that know. would be interesting. Yeah. Just so, go the, go the John Hickok route and just but, go, go crazy with my hair. Yeah. The <laughs> stipulations for giving away hair are pretty stringent. It's weird. Like, they don't, some places don't want curly hair. Some places don't want gray hair. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I got a pile of gray hair. They're going to have to get rid of half my head. Mm. And like, I have no idea when I cut this, I'm probably going to look like, like, you know, a freaking skunk on both sides <laughs> or like a badger, you know, with like gray stripes running down my head. Yeah. I'm going to have to get you some touch of gray. Oh my God, dude. Some just I'm going to need men. some for my beard before long. No, you don't old. need touch. You don't need touch of gray. You need just for men. Right, and that was yeah. Called? They call it touch of gray. Like if you just, I need thought to like, you, I thought you touch of gray was like if you wanted some gray, no, to oh, make you it? look more distinguished. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, like yeah, well, maybe I want it little, is. I want yeah, a touch of gray. I want a little touch of gray. Yeah, like I look like <laughs> Sean Connery. <laughs> Go ahead and say it. It's like oh, <laughs> wow, Monday Pony. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I hope everybody had a great day. Look, don't panic. This is all going to get sorted out. I mean, what they're doing is. Totally not constitutional. It totally does not pass the smell test. We just have to survive long enough to see this through. And, and hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about buying body armor for my dogs because, you know, we know what the ATF likes to do to dogs. So might want to that might be one point. Now, I don't know. They may not have the size available for your girls because, you know, some of them look like little ticks, you know, you know what I mean? They Are you saying that I feed Zelda too much? I, they just eat too much. I don't think you feed her too much. We're an hour in. This has been quite the video. I appreciate you sticking around if you've been here this long. Thanks so much for tuning in. Many more gun gripe videos on the way, and I hope that you all have a great day. And don't worry. This is going to get sorted out. Just uh, stay the course. It's going to be okay. We'll see you soon. Bye.